Do you feel like you don't know how to act when you're actually around other people in person anymore? I remember feeling like this after we first moved to Oklahoma back in 2011. We didn't know a soul when we moved here, which meant that for long stretches, the only person I'd really interact with was my husband. So when we started to meet people and make new friends, I felt like one of those little hyperactive dogs who just bounced around yipping and yapping, just so excited to have the attention of anyone. I could feel myself doing it, but couldn't get myself to stop. That's kind of how I felt when I went to interview Ronick Shaw from Galaxy Home Recreation. His new store is only about 30 minutes north of where I live. So I went up there to see it and conduct a socially distant podcast interview. Except it's been so long since I've done any sort of business or interviews face-to-face that the first thing I did when we met was try to shake his hand. Megan, no one shakes hands anymore. (laughs) By the time we get around to having a trade show again, I mean... I guess just be prepared to take videos of me making a fool of myself. It's going to happen. Anyway, I'm guessing you've probably heard of Galaxy before. They're a large jacuzzi dealer here in Oklahoma. And it's the same people behind the Zen Awakening massage chairs. And this is not the kind of story we get to tell very often in spa retailer. Ronick's father, Mukesh, or Moo, was a first-generation immigrant who came to the United States from India to go to college. I don't think he ever completed that degree, but instead he built a successful business that has passed on to his children. Despite my social awkwardness, this was a great interview with Ronick. He brings a lot of energy and vision to the hot tub business, and I hope you can take away from it as much as I did. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. for doing the podcast today. I appreciate it. We actually get to do one in person. I'm at Galaxy Home Recreation up here in Edmond, Oklahoma with Ronick Shaw. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Excited to be doing it. Yeah. And you also are on the cover of the magazine, which I'm holding up for you to make you feel really uncomfortable because there you are. (laughs) It was great. We got a box of magazines and they arrived at our office and all of a sudden I saw a full spread on my office desk mm-hmm. which I think was was a good laugh for everybody oh yeah it's yeah. it's it's usually the employees really enjoy those kinds of things I feel like it's a great way to make some jabs at the boss but you guys have just opened this brand new store how long has it been open now we opened officially right after Labor Day okay so just this fall yes so just a couple months into being open and it's a brand new store you guys built this from the ground up right it's been a two plus year project yeah numerous delays pre-pandemic and then pandemic mm-hmm. and even finally when we opened in september we just told the builder we're opening regardless of whether the building's ready or not so we still have been doing a lot of finishing work sure. since we've been open i think that's something i've learned from a lot of retailers is that at some point you just go you just open it and it's okay if it's not 100 percent perfect and if everything isn't 100 percent done it's like the doors are open you have product on the floor you're ready to go got to sign up that's all you need exactly you, you get money going out the door you, you need something to come in exactly Yes, Yes, for sure. Okay, well, before we get into all of the getting the store open, because I want to talk about what it was like building it from the ground up and trying to do that during COVID and all of that. But before that, I just want to hear about how the business got started at all and how you guys have grown and how you got involved because it was your dad who originally started the business, right? Yes. So he he started back in 1975. Okay. So he came straight from, he came from India, uh, Gujarat. Yeah. And he came here to do his master. And he was in Ohio and he flunked out after his first semester. He learned how to party uh, the American way. So then he came down to Oklahoma. His friends told him the weather reminded them of back home, where it was nice and sunny, compared to Ohio. I was going to say, yes. really? Because <laughs> I'm not sure that that is, this is the place that I would pick to compare to no. 
weather in India. <laughs> yeah, but at least at least from Ohio, he's probably freezing his butt off. Yeah, I'm sure. So then he was actually working at a pool table store while attending school. Okay. And he was about six credits short of graduating, but he decided he loved the pool table business so much that he wanted to open his own. Interesting. So he, he didn't finish his MBA, uh, and he opened up his own pool table store, and it was called Billiards of Tulsa. Okay. And and that's how it started. And you guys still sell pool tables. And we still do, and our incorporated name is still Billiards of Tulsa. Oh, really? Oh, that's yes. interesting. I Billiards are one of those things that... Some people, they start in or they have for a while, then they get rid of and they come back. And so it's interesting that you guys have stuck with it this successfully this whole time. We definitely stuck with it. Successfully is a, is a debatable word. I know, you know, what during the recession, I think a lot of people got out. Yes, um, absolutely. And I think at times we kick ourselves about it, but it is our name. Sake, sure. it's how we sure. started, so it is with us uh, uh, up or down. So you're kind of in the same boat as a lot of other yes. hot tub retailers, and when it comes to the comes to the billiards, well, they do fill out your floor and look very nice out there right now. Yeah. So we have a nice view from the office, from the conference room of the of the billiards at the moment. So your dad opened the company in '75, you said. Mm -hmm. Okay. How did he get into the hot tub business? How, does, how did he go from billiards to hot tubs? So um, my dad wasn't a person who, who could sit still very mm. long. It originally started as, as billiards um, in the 70s. Okay. And then the birth of Pac-Man came along mm. and coin-operated business. Yeah. And so he really gravitated towards that, and we became full-fledged into it, selling Donkey Kongs and Pac-Mans. You know, okay. we pre-sell them before the truck even arrived. Yeah. And then putting them in pizza places and gas stations and doing the coin-operated business. Yeah. So when that happened, we really got out of retail. Okay. Then the coin-operated business and the Pac-Man business died, and so that took him to, like, the early 90s. Okay. So then he decided to get back into the billiards business. Then the billiard business wasn't quite what it was uh, as a couple of decades ago. Sure, yeah. So he started experimenting, bringing in hot tubs, importing product from China, okay, and just kind of trying to figure out what would stick and what to fill up. We had at that time two large spaces, one in okay. Tulsa, one in Oklahoma City. What he could fill it up with and what would actually sell. Your dad's name was? Mukesh. Okay. I, uh, I wanted to make sure we actually said his name instead of just calling him your dad yeah. the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Mo most people know him uh, as Moo or, or oh, Moo. Okay. Moo. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What do you remember about the business during this time as a kid growing up? What are your memories of your dad working in the business and, and running this? I was always in our warehouses and showrooms as a kid, as a teenager, mm -hmm. and, and as an adult, my first beginning memories is going into a warehouse filled with arcades and pinballs. As um, a kid, that must have just been... It, you must have thought your dad was the, had the coolest, the coolest job. guy ever. Yeah. It was a dream. <laughs> I mean, one, one birthday, he filled up our garage with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Simpsons and off-road and I had all my friends over we stayed up all night and played arcade games in the garage that is so fun yeah so I thought my you know my dad uh it, it, it's still the greatest but you know I he thought he was the coolest guy ever and so did all my friends yeah you know as uh as we got back into retail um and with hot tubs and, and pool tables again as a kid it's just again a candy land of like we just do these the coolest things ever for people yeah and then as a teenager, it's summertime and I was hanging around the store and didn't have anything to do. And mm -hmm. my dad's like, well, you know, why don't you actually try to make some money? Why don't you go clean some of this stuff? So I started cleaning the, the hot tubs and the pool tables. And that's what really finally piqued my interest in the business as a business. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw these people coming in like, I don't understand how you get someone to buy these things. How do you talk about it? Well, one weekend, uh, our salesperson was hungover. And, I mean, and my dad it, it fired him. It happens. It happens. <laughs> it happens. I mean, I've if you've ever been to the, you know the industry trade shows, there are definitely some salespeople in those booths who are hungover in Vegas. I mean, the entire weekend. <laughs> maybe, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so he was fired, and we didn't really have another salesperson. So that that's what actually got me onto the floor from oh, from funny. cleaning the hot tubs and the pool tables, and it was it was an adrenaline rush. That sounds so typical for a lot of people in this industry, where it is trial by fire. Mm -hmm. You know, you show up one day and it's like, hey, this person's gone. You're it. Go sell something. <laughs> and in particular sales, I mean, it, it is my most favorite thing to do. Oh, is, really? Is the art of showing somebody and proving to them why you're the best, why mm -hmm. the product's the best, and, and getting them to cross that line and buy it. That rush, it's over and over, no matter how many times you do it. Yeah. 
And and the first time I did it, I mean, I, I was hooked. So I have to share the story with you because I think if I don't bring his name up in the podcast, he's going to be mad at me. Steve O'Shea, he's been in the industry a long time. Mm-hmm. He's with Max now. He was with Covana before that, you know, a bunch of different places. When I tell people that I'm from Oklahoma, you guys usually come up because you're one of the largest hot tub retailers in the state. And so and they're like, oh, do you know, do you know Ronick? Do you go to Galaxy? Do you know those guys? And so I had that conversation with Steve and then he told me a story about coming to call on your dad at one point and that he took him around to go pick up the money from the coins. And so I think it was a weekend and I don't know if your dad normally did that, but for some reason him and Steve, they went around Tulsa and they collected all of the money from the coin operated machines. And it sounded like they had some interesting stops along the way, some places he wasn't expecting to go on that sales trip. And so it was pretty, it was pretty funny, his recollection of being here and doing that with your yeah. dad sort of on the fly and unbeknownst to him, that was what they're going to be doing this weekend as part of his, his sales trip. <laughs> What's really funny is, is that story is very common. You learn so much about your parents from other people. Oh, sure. And my dad passed early. So you see your parents in one light. But hearing the stories of all these vendors and people who worked with my dad Mm -hmm. uh, and hearing their experiences paints a whole nother picture. But that story you just talked about, Steve O'Shea, I I hear it countless times, Mm -hmm. particularly with my dad, about how much joy and fun they had with a random experience of visiting him Mm -hmm. and what it turned out to be. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. That is fun. Those are those are good <laughs> memories to have. I think one of the good things and one of like you said the joys of being in a family business is getting those experiences and hearing about your family through the eyes of of other people in the industry. So that's yeah, that's great. So you ended up on the floor doing sales randomly, but was that your plan was to be to work in the family business and to take it over? Is that where you saw yourself as you went through high school and college no. and all of that? Heck no. I got out as far as I could from Oklahoma. Right. I went to New York. I went to NYU. Okay. Yeah, um, that's that's a little bit of a switch. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, slightly. And, and I, I did finance and accounting. It was the agreement that I made with my dad. I didn't even want to major in those things. Really? Um, but it was the quid pro quo. If, if he sent me to NYU, then that's what I had to uh-huh, do. Uh-huh. I was definitely dead set, uh, even more after being in New York of, uh-huh. you know, you're done. Uh, this yeah. is the kind of lifestyle I would want. Yeah. Right. See you later, Oklahoma. Yeah. I understand that. I grew up in North Dakota, so. Oh yeah, same experience. So you know, yeah, I went to <laughs> I went to college in Phoenix and grad school in Chicago, and yeah, definitely mm-hmm. did not see myself. Well, I mean, I didn't go back to North Dakota, but Oklahoma's not that far off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how did you end up back here? What did you want to do in college if it wasn't finance and accounting? Did, I, you, did you know? Well, I probably would have been a liberal undergrad student, sure. uh, probably doing politics and philosophy with, with okay. really no point. That, that probably would have been what I would have done. Sure. So I ended up working in corporate America. I worked for Deloitte Consulting and okay. then I went to San Francisco and I worked for Visa Credit Card doing product innovation. Those were good jobs, but I quickly learned that they would always be a job and I was going to get bored of it. You're making PowerPoint presentations and it's not really going anywhere. You're not really contributing or you know value adding or building something. Right. So... At that point, I realized that's where finally Galaxy started coming back into my head. Yeah. And initially, and this was the wrong year to do it, it was 2008. Mm. I was like, well, you know, we've been importing a lot of these products from China. What if we could make a wholesale business out of this? Sure. So we, I decided uh, to start a wholesale side of our business where we imported massage chairs, saunas, arcades, pool tables, yeah. uh, game room products, and sell them. Mm-hmm. And we went to the BCA show and went to the pool and spa show. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? In 2008, nobody wanted to buy additional things. Yeah, I can I can understand. It's <laughs> sort of like me looking for a journalism job in 2007. I mean, you took what you got because there were, was not a whole lot, whole lot out there. <laughs> so at that point then, um, I realized that my wholesale dream had faded, mm. living in California and having containers come in and selling right. them across the country. Yeah. And I needed to get into the family business and help my dad offload all these containers that I had made him buy for me so I could start a wholesale business. So oh. that, that's how I really then ended back uh, yeah. up into the retail side of Galaxy. Yeah, interesting. Yes. So when did you actually end up coming back to Oklahoma then? So I came back in about 2008. Okay. And then, uh, so I was doing the wholesale business for about a year and a half, two years. Okay. And then I had started transitioning into the retail side. 
because the wholesale was, mm-hmm. was just not going anywhere. And we had some plans to potentially open a store outside of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was going to work on. And then dad passed and it was completely unexpected. Yeah. So I was actually in Dallas at the time. Oh, okay. And so then I moved back to Tulsa and then my sister and I took over. Yeah, that's not exactly how you want the takeover story to go. But unfortunately, it is yeah. another story that you hear often in the industry is we had this family business and my dad was running it and then he was gone. And so someone had to do it. Right. I'm glad that you were already involved in the business and kind of preparing yourself for some of that before that all happened, though. Gave you a little bit of a, of a ramp up instead of just dropping you in. <laughs> that was a big part of it. And, you know, I, I had and have a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just always a fact of seeing my dad and, and you're asking me about, you know, what's it like from a kid? I mean, yeah. one of the downsides as a kid was, you know, he did it seven days a week. I mean, seven days a week, he probably did like 10 days out of seven days a week. Some, right. like, it, it was all the time. Yeah. Seeing that lifestyle and, and being young and, you know, being back in Oklahoma was really the only deterrence. Mm-hmm. But being the owner of your own business, there's nothing much that beats it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that you've been able to find a little bit better balance than you think your dad did? I mean, you've got your, your sister and other family members mm-hmm. helping out in the business. Do you have a little bit better balance than he did? Or are you working 10 days a week too? <laughs> it took our firstborn. Mm. And there was two things. One, it, it just takes reality. You know, a firstborn, you have to make changes in your life. Right. But second was we had to spend time in the business. You got to put the work in. There's things now that I wish, you know, we probably could have done over and made things easier and could have had more time mm-hmm. if we had made better decisions, but that's the way you learn. You know, it took almost eight, nine years mm-hmm. to finally get to a point where, you know, you don't work weekends. You do turn off your phones at 530 to find that work-life balance. Yeah. But that is the challenge of our business. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah. challenge of, of small business ownership across the board, I feel like, is that there's always more you can be doing. And as the owner, you feel a lot of the responsibility to be doing that. It can be really hard to delegate all of those things that, yeah, it definitely takes some time to get your groove and understand and figure that out. But so you're not working yourself to death for sure. Well, good. I'm glad that you found kind of a good balance there. Most days, I know it's not this year, especially probably doesn't necessarily feel very balanced for very many people. (laughs) Right. We had actually scheduled to do this interview a couple weeks ago, but then your son's teacher ended up. Yes. Tested positive. Yeah. And Uh, so then you were in quarantine when we were supposed to be mm -hmm. meeting. 2020. 2020. And then after that, we canceled a couple days later, my son's, uh, my other son's class had a positive case. Oh, good. So we were at double quarantine. We had both the kids at home for the last few weeks. It's been a ride. So, I mean, since we're kind of on the COVID line now, you know, you said that this project has been, you know, two years in the making. Obviously you decided to set the store up. I mean, how many stores do you guys have now? I should ask first. Four. Four locations. You've got two in Tulsa? Yes. Two in Tulsa and then two in the Oklahoma City Metro, which is this new one includes that as well. If this obviously been in the works long before we knew of the coronavirus, why did you decide to open up a location here and what made you guys go through the process of building it versus, you know, finding a place and renovating? So first I I wish building on no person. <laughs> I'm glad it's done with and right. the results of the building is amazing and, mm-hmm. and if we had bought an existing building we wouldn't be able to replicate what we were able to do by doing it. But we only did it out of necessity. We couldn't find a okay. building that fit our needs. And at some point you realize we had been in the market already for a year plus trying to find a building that we didn't want to lose even more time. Right. We opened this location because of the suburb Edmond. Right. And the demographics of Edmond and being close to it as possible mm-hmm. and being convenient. We realized uh, our other location, which is on the southern part of Oklahoma City, Edmond was an underserved representation of our customer base. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, uh, four, four years ago now, we had opened up our uh, suburb store in Tulsa and Broken Arrow. And we really learned the benefits of having suburban-based stores. Mm-hmm. And that convenience made a huge difference. Yes, we are a destination-type business, but but when you can be in the suburb of your customers, you do see a tremendous lift from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Edmund, obviously I live in Norman and, you know, know this area well. And yeah, this is the, this is a great place to be for these types of products. Definitely the demographic that you're looking for. So that makes a lot of sense. Had you built other locations before, or was this the first time you guys had built a store? This is the first time we built a store. And in fact, two of our buildings, we repurposed them. Mm -hmm. So from our old business of being a coin operated business, our facilities were primarily like warehouse type. Sure. Yeah. So 
our really only experience had been trying to flip existing buildings from a warehouse into more of a showroom. Mm -hmm. And four years ago when we opened up the Broken Arrow store, that was finally our launch of starting fresh and opening a, a retail showroom to be retail and, right. and not taking a warehouse to be retail. And, and now this is our second experience, but this was from the ground up. But finally, this is the first time ever we were able to do something the way we wanted to do it. Right. That's exciting, but also daunting. I mean, where did you look to kind of figure out what you wanted or, or needed or what your plan was going to be to make this location? There was a lot of conversations with a lot of people. I'm sure. A lot of second guessing and part sometimes of, of the delays of this building. But I think the experience of our Broken Arrow store really helped understand what the demographics needed to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the population of a suburb needed to look like, the composition of the people, you know, the accessibility. That really was a really good learning experience. Yeah. And, and that's what kind of gave us the foundation for this market. We also saw a longtime hot tub retailer, uh, wholesale hot tubs had gone out mm -hmm. and there was a real void in this area. Yeah. And then we also talked with our vendors and particularly like Jacuzzi and using a lot of their heat maps to help identify opportunities. And, sure. and this was the number one that they saw within our markets. Yeah. Jacuzzi is a great partner. And I feel like for doing a venture like this, they have a lot of data that you maybe wouldn't be able to get from other places as far as where to put a store and then even just how to design a store. I imagine that they would be fairly helpful with some of those things. Yeah. I mean, everything else is by intuition and gut and they actually have real data that's specific to, to hot tubs in our industry. And it's harder, wow. to, it's harder, <laughs> harder to come by than you would think, right. you know? I mean, I, I tell the story often about starting my career in the hot tub industry as a journalist, and it was a little shocking to, to see that there was no data. And so I would, mm -hmm. you know, be looking for stuff to add in the stories. And it's like, well, I need to back this up somehow and not just go by what this guy told me. And it didn't really exist. Still doesn't really exist yeah, in a lot of ways. Exist. Yeah. No. As for the design of the store, what we have learned, and just because I, I think this comes from my dad, is that mm -hmm. things change all the time. That we wanted to make a big and open space. We wanted to be inviting. Yeah. But we weren't going to say this has to go here and that has to go there. And we're going to put this art motif there and this signage here. We wanted the showroom to be able to be mobile as consumer preferences change, mm -hmm. as a particular products that we thought were going to work may not work, if we want to give more floor space to one category versus the other. Yeah. So we really strive to have kind of just an open box feeling. Yeah. And even with our marketing, we've gone all digital. So that way we can change up the messaging and not be beholden to something that we thought was going to be great. And then a year later, you end up changing everything. Sure. I mean, now that you say that, it makes a lot of sense looking at what you guys did and what you have on your floor now. You do have a ton of flexibility, which is which is probably really smart. We hope so. Right now, you've got a couple of swim spas on display. You know, swim spas are great right now. Maybe they aren't in five years, but you have yes. room to add or subtract as you want and as inventory becomes available. Right. You know, I've talked to some retailers who have plans to open some new locations. They were hoping to do it at the end of this year. And now they have to wait just because they don't think they can fill that, that showroom with product. How were you guys able to manage that? Were you far enough along in your plans that you already had orders in? Were you able to move things from your other locations? What were you able to do? Because, I mean, we all know that hot tubs are kind of hard to come by for customers and retailers at this moment. We were very fortunate. In this business, you got to have a little bit of luck. And in the 10 years that we've run it, I've always felt like, when is our luck going to come? And finally, we, for the first time, we, we got a little bit of that luck. We've got great vendors, mm -hmm. and we've had really good relationships with them. And when you're in a moment like this, when your back's up against the wall, those relationships matter. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have relationships, because they will pay dividends. And so we were lucky that the partners that we have, we've been with them. They've been loyal to us. We've been loyal to them. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to make decisions and get support, I think, a lot easier and better. We also did in Oklahoma, you know, everyone was shut down longer than we were. Right. And so in April, we already saw signs that this was going to be something special, that there was going to be this massive oh, really? influx. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, we decided to go and advertise in April just to test out what the demand was going to look like. Right. And it was extremely strong. Yeah. So we started making decisions in April based upon that. 
And I think a lot of other parts of the country, they were maybe not open till May, mm -hmm. you know? And so when they finally started seeing and realizing that was later on, then we were fortunately able to see it earlier. Yeah. Well, and I imagine yeah. too, that when your factory or when your manufacturer is shut down, you're not necessarily thinking about, oh, I need to place orders because they're not making hot tubs. Why would mm -hmm. I need to order hot tubs? You know? And so, yeah, I think a lot of people got caught in a bad situation, not having gotten ahead of it. But before we get to the influx, you know, COVID hits, you guys are in the midst of this building project. I mean, that had to have been just a gut check because suddenly your retail stores are told to close and you're in the midst of a huge capital expenditure to get a new store open. I mean, what were you thinking at that time when places started to close down? And I mean, as an industry, we thought this was going to be horrible. I mean, everybody was hunkering down for worst case scenario. What was going through your mind with what you guys had going on? Not having been through anything like this before, I took over in 10, kind of mm -hmm. a little bit after the recession. Right. Obviously, I wasn't a part of the 9-11, what happened then. Yeah. So this was a, a serious gut punch, and you really thought the worst, and we had made plans if, if we had to lay people off or, mm -hmm. you know, what that would look like, all the things that we needed to cancel, and then what we could shed, which was right. this building that we're sitting in right now. Yeah and putting feelers out to see what who would be interested even even the government in terms of at that point which was they were looking for beds hospital sure, beds yeah so we definitely were there was the, the worst nightmare you could ever think of yeah but there was a lot of people that i did talk to that had been through these things before you know you mentioned like steve o'shea a lot of the old guard who said, hey, mm -hmm. we, we've seen something like this before and, and this could be turn out to be something really, really good. Yeah. And so in the beginning of April, that's why we we kind of put out some feelers through marketing to get a sense of it. And yeah. we did see that this year has been like living nine lives. And I'm just thankful that we are where we are, like like so many in the industry. Yeah. I had a somewhat of the same experience where, you know, you're as a new business owner, it's terrifying and you just have no idea what's coming and what to do. And it's just a lot. But yeah, there are people in the industry who are like, you know, hold on this may not be as bad as you, as we think it is, or, or just that we've weathered things before, you know, yes. like we've, this industry has been around longer than, you know, you have. So, mm -hmm. you know, hang in there, you know, make your plans, but let's, you know, don't pack it in just yet. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, that was, it was kind of an interesting experience to hear from those, some of those past yeah. experiences and from the, like they said, the old guard and mm -hmm. people who've been around longer than, than you and I in this industry and how they've survived things. And I think another big thing is that you can't make decisions based upon the moment. Right. And that the decisions that you have made and are continuing to make, are they based upon the long term? And if so, then you got to stick with it. Right. And so I think that was also a poignant reminder to us is that mm -hmm. like this particular location that we're opening is that, yeah, maybe the next year would suck, but long-term we know it's the right decision right so to continue forward with it right for us in the Oklahoma market the oil industry is a huge thing for us here where I live in Norman the university is a big is a big thing as far as the economy and the economic stability for our state and mm -hmm. our areas and so it's been weird because the industry is doing really well those industries not, are, are necessarily not doing great right now but they they will, you know, it's, right. they, they will come back. There are, there are ups and downs. And so, yes, it's good to think about the long-term versus, you know, this, this short-term dip. Things will come back. They always do. When you guys decided to stay the course, you're going to open the store, you're going to finish building it, you're going to move in, whether it's done or not. <laughs> what did that look like as far as trying to do an opening during COVID? Because, you know, you can't, there are restrictions, you got to wear masks, you can't have as many people in. I imagine like, like your grand opening plans are not what they would have normally looked like. We had a whole vision, what we thought it was going to be, and, and right. it was none of it. So, you know, a tent event, big inflatables, food trucks. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, send out a postcard <laughs> to everybody, you know, have a VIP night. Yeah. Lavish parties. No, uh, but, you know, we, yeah, we, we wanted the dream. Mm -hmm. um, and in the process, we knew we couldn't do any of it. We could barely get the store completed because even, even the builder, they had a third of their staff out due to Corona. So, I mean, we were just, just pushing just to get temporary occupancy just to open the doors yeah. because we were supposed to open back in, we we're supposed to actually open in March. Oh. Um, and so at that point was, it's just get, get the doors open, get product yeah. in, flip the switch on, on advertising and get customers in here. Mm -hmm. But you know, we'd always been, and we made an early decision 
you know, back in April, May that we were going to be very strict, very observant of, of this virus and, and do things regardless of what the city or state did. So for, you know, almost all of the summer, we, we've required masks when you come in the store. We've got little moisturizers everywhere. We've got a COVID policy from when we go out and do installations. Mm-hmm. And, and that has served us well because as, as city and state guidelines have come and gone, our, ours has been consistent. Yeah. There has never really been a, you know, this is not normal times. There, there was no 30 people coming in the store for a grand opening. So it's always been just a few customers at a time. Mm-hmm. E- even though business has been great, it, yeah. it's still at a very different pace. And then the way people are buying, I mean, we're, we're doing so much through, through web yeah. chat sales. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, did you guys do a lot of virtual selling? And what did that look like for you? Because people aren't going to flock to stores right now if they don't have to. We're doing a lot. Now, we're not doing a lot like hey, um, here's my phone and we're FaceTiming or doing Google mm-hmm. Hangout or right. Zoom. Yeah, That's not the Oklahoman buyer who's like 50 plus. Sure. They've gotten hip though. They are, you know, texting. We are sending photos back and forth. Hey, that's a, that is a step in the right it's direction. A step, you know, you know? It, it's a big step because they weren't there a year ago. <laughs> no, for okay. sure. And we're doing, we signed up with Podium and their text web chat feature is amazing. So we're able to continue conversations on customers even if they're, once they get off our website. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, our salespeople have gotten used to closing deals in the evening, at night, off hours, meeting the customer's yeah. needs. So we're really closing a lot of deals through texting, through this web-based texting. Right. Yeah. How do you handle that with your staff? I imagine that, like, if your job is commission-based, I guess you you may not really care if I'm selling at, you know, 10 in the morning mm-hmm. or 9 o'clock at night. But how has that shift been for them? I mean, it is a different mindset and a different way of working. How do you handle that internally to make sure that they are still closing sales, still making money, still bringing in money? But, you know, we talked about balance earlier and still having that balance of life right now. It's not always about money. You know, even though it may be commission-based sales, it's not about making as much possible money at every single moment. Right. Work-life balance, having, you know, being on at work and then being off yeah. It's a big part of today's workforce. Mm-hmm. So when this influx happened, when people are buying in completely different ways, asking people to do a lot more and different than what they had done before, mm-hmm. it was a challenge, but it wasn't as big of a challenge as you would think because we were we all knew what this moment was. Right. And being able to communicate this moment and, and communicate this is, you know, a fight or flight or fast or a famine type situation. And everyone got that. Yeah. And, and realize that this was something that we needed to take advantage of. Because, mm-hmm. you know, this moment's great, but six months from now, will it be great? One year from now, will it be great? We basically, we, we need to take as much as we can while we can. Yeah. Because we have no idea where this virus is going to end up, particularly, you know, a few months ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was really impressive upon what our guys and gals did. But I think it was really just everyone really understanding where we're at. I've seen that in our staff as well. I think everybody understands that you know, so many things are outside of my control. So many things are outside of your control. And so it is kind of all hands on deck. Let's do what we can for the good of all of us. Did you have employees who had to change their hours because of family constraints and having kids at home, having schools closed? So what did that look like for your staff? I mean, all of it. And it's still happening. I oh mean, yeah, absolutely. I've learned a lot about our employees way more within the last six months mm-hmm. than in all the years. Single moms, I have a whole a whole new respect for them. Mm-hmm. And imagine if your kid can't go to school, you're the only person who's taking care of the child, and you're the only income. And how do you do that right now? All these rules you have about you know what time you're supposed to come in at work, what time you're supposed to leave at work, you know, showing face, like all those things kind of went out the door. And it's yeah. about you know these are things that you need to get done. Just get them done. And we had a lot of people who we bought everybody a laptop, so we had all sorts of people working from home. Mm-hmm. And they would do remote learning with their kid and then they would work three hours, kids would go to bed and they work another three hours. So we kind of just rolled with it and just kind of took everybody's situation based upon what it was. You know, we had other people who had elderly parents that lived with them. We had one person where the elderly parent got sick and they were their primary caretaker. So what does that mean for them in work? Right. But yeah, I mean, all of the situations that everybody's been battling, we've just been working through it. But I will say that we had the best group of employees now more than ever. We've met so many wonderful people through this pandemic. And I think our employees are so much more committed. And that's because we've been more committed to them ever. I think this experience has made us a stronger company. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. If you weren't able to be flexible during this time, I don't know how you would make it through. (laughs) It's just been very challenging as far as all that goes. It just seems like every day it's a new adventure as far as what's going to happen. And for every family, it's different. You know, one school district closes, the other one stays open. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just every day is a balancing act in a way that I don't think we've ever had to do in the past. And it's a retail environment, right? The the doors still have to be open. Yeah, exactly. Um, Somebody has to be here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that yeah. that kind of, um, we're a remote office and we have been for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so we are fortunate that we kind of already had that in place. I can't imagine trying to keep office hours and keep a door open with, I mean, just in our small staff. Crazy. It's just every day. It's something I mean, different. He, like a month ago, we had that fluke where trees were falling and people had no power for weeks here in, yeah. in North Oklahoma City. The way that we approached that, if it was a year ago, we would have handled it completely different about what our expectations were the employees versus how we handled it now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this virus has really impacted the way that we go about doing things at work. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that is going forward, you know, kind of what sticks and what changes. But it sounds like for you guys, at least, that there has been almost a cultural shift in how you view that relationship and how you will handle those kinds of situations ongoing versus what you like you said what you would have in the past 100 percent. yeah i think i mean we see our team as our family Mm -hmm. you say that a lot and i've said that a lot you know but through this experience i mean there's nothing like a crisis to bring people yes exactly (laughs) you you really feel it and i think it's genuine across everybody Mm -hmm. here I think I see that across the industry too. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing like a crisis. I think that I see uh, people within the industry working together in ways that I haven't in a really long time, just out of necessity. Vendors and suppliers and manufacturers and dealers that just have all had to, they are closer than they've ever been before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned your employees being like a family, but you work with a lot of family too. You mentioned your sister works in the business with you. Yes. Your cousin, Neil, I believe. Uh, brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. So, so my sister's sorry, husband. Brother-in-law. Yeah. Oh. I do have a cousin in the business as oh, well. See, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> What has that experience been like for you guys working together as a family that can be, you know, in this industry, you see, I've talked to a lot of family businesses for some it's wonderful. And for others, it's, it's very fraught. And I feel like this year, especially with all of the added stress, it's just got to be a whole new world of working with your family. Mm-hmm. What has that been like for you guys? Well, like you said, there's nothing like a crisis to bring it together. <laughs> my sister and I originally took over mm-hmm. and then my brother-in-law joined. He joined to start up our wholesale business. Mm-hmm. This year with the pandemic, he's joined into our retail business. Okay. And then my wife joined a few years ago as our CFO. Okay. So one by one, everyone's come in mm-hmm. and we all approach things very differently. That has been both good and bad. So, you know, my wife's the finance and accounting. My sister's really good in the details. My brother-in-law is really good more at the operational. And I'm more the, the vision guy. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, they're the biggest arguments because one cannot see how the other one thinks like that. Right. Uh, but they are also what allows us to be able to run a business is that we have family members who focus on different things. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about that. Right. And so it allows us to focus on what we're good at. Yeah. But we definitely have had a lot of conversations and healing moments and teachable moments and growing moments. Right. You know, other people have seen our messes, but we've always come out stronger from it. Yeah. That seems to be the key in the family businesses that I've seen that are successful is that everybody sort of finds where they fit and then more or less try to stay out of each other's way as much as they can. In a family business, you can do that in a way that you sometimes can't with other partnerships because there's just that commitment. You know, you guys have a commitment to the business that mm-hmm. an employee never would. That's just the way it is. I right. mean, you know, if they fail, they go get a different job. If you fail, that usually means financial ruin, right. <laughs> you know, so there's, both there's of us. yeah, right. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's a different level. There's a different level of commitment when it's a mm-hmm. family and when it's ownership. So when you can each bring, you know, your own different skills and find kind of the niche where you fit. If you can stay out of each other's way and let you guys, you know, do what you're best at, that seems to be where the family businesses I've seen have the most success. And you also, you're forced to make up with them. Like they're your family. And so, you know, when you do have disagreements, you know, no one fights like family, but you know, it's, no one gets over it like family right. too. You know, you, you might be kind of snippy with each other and then the next day it's, it's completely forgotten and you mm-hmm. move on, hopefully. <laughs> it sounds like you guys have found a good balance of kind of who does what 
and who's good at what. And so that's that's great. It's been a process, but you finally learn kind of how to how to row together. Obviously, some of that comes with maturity and, you know, having children and all of mm-hmm. those kind of doing that, those other life things together, I think, sort of builds that trust as well. Definitely. You guys have been open for a few months now, a couple months. How has it been? I mean, new location, like we said, haven't been able to do the grand opening. The hot tub business is great, but I mean, how has this location been for you guys? Is it is it too early to say, or are you seeing success? What do you what do you see for the future? So so far, things have been going well. We would obviously like it to be better, but I think opening a new store, it's not like you build and they will come just immediately. It 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 takes you know six months mm-hmm. to a year to really to get it into people's minds that this location does exist. Sure. And so it's done better than what we had expected, but it's going to take some time to get all the marketing and recognition and consumers' habits to understand about this new location. So so we're patient. We understand that. Good. I mean, that seems on par for what you would expect, I feel like, for a new store. Like you said, they don't usually just take off. (laughs) You know, and and we wish, you know, our original plan was to open in March, so to be here for our pink time in the year. Right. We end up opening towards the tail end of our year, so... It wasn't the best of timing, what we would naturally like, but at least we'll be extremely strong for the spring. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you would want to add about the business, what you guys have done in the past, where you're going, anything we haven't touched on? I mean, one big experience, a lot of big experiences through this, but one of the big ones from an industry standpoint, Mm -hmm. we are a small industry and it's been amazing to see how we all help each other whether it be dealers, brands that I don't even carry or fellow dealers, but how everyone is focused on the moment and being able to survive, grow, fulfill, improve. But it definitely, it's a collaborative exercise. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've been fortunate is that a lot of the, a lot of people in this industry, just how willing they are to help and that has been a lot of the key pivot points for our company is we've grown through the advice of those who have been here before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's just a nod to the industry as a whole. I agree. I feel I've seen the same thing and I'm excited to see where some of these, I feel like there's a new depth to some of these relationships mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm excited to see how that grows as we move forward and out of hopefully out of this pandemic right. and into the future. Cause yeah, everyone seems a lot a lot closer. We always end the podcast with doing the Spa Retailer 5. So there's the five questions we ask every guest that we have on the podcast. Okay. I mean, they're supposed to be rapid fire. They never end up being rapid fire. Sometimes it's the longest part of the interview. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so are you are you ready? I'm not sure. They're not they're not okay. that they're not that difficult. Um okay, so what was your first hot tub sale? Do you remember the the product, the customer? What do you remember about the first time you sold a hot tub? It was a D1 it was white, white, or white, and trying to convince a customer that white was right. And it had this blue ceramic tile that went around it. Yeah. And I knew nothing about the hot tub, and the customer kept coming back into the store. So I didn't lose them, but I didn't know why they kept coming back because I really wasn't selling it to them. They ended up buying it. And that customer, you know, 20 years later, I still see him. And really? And he bought two other hot tubs from me. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Did you forget to ask for the sale? <laughs> Did you forget well, to say, I don't even know would you, how like, to, would you like to buy it now? <laughs> I mean, he asked, I remember him asking me, how does this hot tub drain? I, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. I have not talked to a retailer yet who does not remember yeah. what their first sale was. Well, I was going to ask what your first real job is, but I think we've already covered that. I mean, would you say, was your first real job here at the store? This was my first real job. My first real non-Galaxy job was Blatt Billiards in New York. Oh. Uh, and that was... Uh, a tremendous experience. They, they sell pool tables to like Bill Murray and the likes. I mean, they could sell fifty, hundred thousand dollar custom tables. Yeah. You go upstairs and you go pick it out. I was never allowed to go upstairs, but but they would sell chess boards and chess pieces and playing cards. They would sell a Brunswick table that we would sell here for twice the price. It was unbelievable operation. Yeah. But it was in the heart of the city and it was a whole different clientele. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Sometimes I'll see people talking about, you know, who's the most famous person they've ever sold a product to. And the difference between what that answer would be in Oklahoma versus New York City would be just... <laughs> oh, I have a good one for that, though. Oh, you do? Really? Garth Brooks. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. of course. <laughs> of course. So you've sold, have you sold a hot tub to Garth Brooks? Yes. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's really a non-story. He's a very quiet guy, wears a hat, you know, uh, low profile. But of course. I remember that he's like, okay, someone's going to come pick up this hot tub. I'm like, pick it up? And come to find out he was putting it on his yacht. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. Well, why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, in Oklahoma. I think I should add that to my list of, I mean, we should be the spa retailer six and find out who everyone's most famous sale is. <laughs> what would you say is the worst idea or the biggest flop you've ever had in the business? Something that just did not work out the way you had envisioned. Oh, I know that's kind of a hard one. I feel like this is a question where I learn the most about people, though, is learning about what didn't work out versus what did. Wrong people you hired, wrong categories you brought in, Yeah, um, the things yeah. you didn't do. Mm-hmm. Well, I always like hearing about the products that didn't work out. Is there is there a product? Kitchen category? Island's completely bombed for us. So like indoor kitchen islands uh, or in- outdoor? Outdoor kitchen islands. Really? Um, hanging chairs. I did that before oh, it's time. Oh, yeah. I was going to yeah. say, those are so popular They're popular now. now. I was trying to do it like eight years ago. Oh. Bringing in a container of pool tables that were broken. <laughs> um, Obviously, you didn't bring in a container on purpose that were broken. <laughs> what what purpose. happened? <laughs> just, 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 just fell apart in transit? They just all fell apart. Great. They weren't killed dry wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Signing up a hot tub vendor in which every third hot tub leaked. Um, I, well, I mean, I think everyone in the industry has been there. Yeah. Those are all, those are all good ones. And it's so, I think I like asking that question specific to product category because it's interesting to hear what works in different markets and for different stores and what doesn't. There's some stores where kitchen islands are fantastic. I would think right now that you could sell hanging chairs, but you know, so it's just interesting to hear about, you know, the the timing and the location and all of that stuff. It has to line up. Yeah, Yeah. 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 It's not, there's no one size fits all. And so that's one of the challenges for the magazine. <laughs> How do we talk about these products that yeah. work great in Oklahoma yeah. and not so great in San Francisco? <laughs> a hot tub vendor we didn't sign up, which ended up causing two competing stores in our market. Having an opportunity to buy a building in North Oklahoma City years before this building, but you weren't <sighs> quite ready to do it, and it was ready-made, ready to go. Oh, man. Would it cost less? There, there's probably a whole long list of we course. could do. Yeah. yeah. On the flip side, though, what would you say is maybe one of the best th- best ideas or the best things that you guys have done for the business? So for us, because we didn't know retail, we weren't a true retail operator. We had this coin-op business. Right. We were also yeah. in, in a property management business. Uh, my dad was in a lot of different businesses and then also dabbling in retail. So we didn't have this confidence that, hey, you can sell hot tubs for a living because we hadn't done that successfully yeah. yet. Or at least by itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our locations were not in prime retail locations. And so the best thing that we did was finally say, we've got to get rid of all this stuff that we're not interested in. Right. And then also we, we need to put ourselves in an environment in which this can succeed to know whether we can do this or not. So at that time in 2014, it was, we found a sublease. It was a former Walgreens and they were giving away dirt cheap, but it was in a prime retail area. Yeah. And uh, it was in Tulsa where you typically wouldn't need two stores for that size market, but we had to get one store just to try it out. If it's in the right area, can this succeed? Yeah. And that finally was the aha moment of, okay, this is what successful retail looks like. Yeah. And now we have an idea of what we need to copy paste. I mean, that kind of makes me want to ask you, I mean, you just got this store opened. Are you looking at other markets? Are there, do you see more expansion in your future? I mean, there is not a hot tub store in Norman, Oklahoma. I just would like to point out, despite my best efforts. I mean, I have, I'm aware of that. uh, Yeah. I mean, I have, I've talked to some people in the industry about, I mean, there's actually a vacant space on the highway in Norman. And every time I drive by it, I'm like, that would be the perfect hot tub store. I have some friends who are in the pool industry in Norman. And I'm like, guys, you got to do it. <laughs> so I'm saying it to you. If they don't do it, it's up to you to take over that location because it would be a great hot tub store. So uh, I was telling you earlier about the hats that all four of us wear as owners. I, I, yeah. I, I play the vision guy. Uh huh. There are definitely things I'm interested in. I hope the fellow co-owners don't listen to this because they're not interested in it at this moment. This was tough to get yeah. this store open. Right. I can understand why they would not be excited to open a new location in Norman that some random, you know, publisher came in and said you should do. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be blaming you six months from now. That's fine. That's fine. They they can do that. I will, co- I will swing by and check it out. <laughs> Let them know it was my idea. <laughs> We're always looking. I think it's a matter of when, not if. Yeah, 
I mean, you're not alone. That's yeah. I, people who have multiple stores are usually looking to add another store. Gluttony for punishment. Uh-huh. But I mean, in this industry, I think it's been a proven way to grow. I mean, to grow sales. I think it's hard out of a single location to see the percentage of growth that you want unless you are moving into new Yeah, markets. that was a big lesson. We learned it through listening to other retailers mm-hmm. is that you need more than, than one showroom. Your overhead, your marketing, that's a fixed cost. You need to get more revenue out of it. Yeah. It's a headache, you know, obviously with staffing and all that, yeah. but there is success to, to scaling. Right. Well, and we talk about Oklahoma City and Tulsa. I mean, it's not like they're right next to each other. I mean, it's right. like you're a couple hours in between the two and you come to Oklahoma yeah. City because your home is in Tulsa. Yes. So you come to Oklahoma City. Once a week. Once a week. That's right. So sorry. That was a tangent. That mm-hmm. was not one of the spot retailer five. I'm sorry. What Mostly, number are we on? This is our last one. What is your favorite book? or TV show or podcast? What are you reading or watching or or listening to that you really enjoy? Well, currently during the pandemic, I am mind-numbing myself with sci-fi and adventure shows. There have been some good ones that have come out during the pandemic, I feel like. Do you have a a favorite? (laughs) Well, I I just watched uh, Expanse. Okay. But I guess that's an older one. Yeah, I I don't know that Um, one. (laughs) There is, well, Queen's Gambit is excellent. Um, Yes, it was so good. Dark Matter on HBO. Oh, yep. I mean, I'm watching all of them. From 10 to 11, I tune out and watch a show. Hey, good for you. I mean, I think that's what a lot of us have been doing because we can't do all of our normal things that we would maybe do for relaxation. We're not going to restaurants. Mm -hmm. We're not doing all of that stuff. And so, yeah, there's been a lot of Netflix happening in our house too, so. But rather than a book or a show per se, I'd probably, I probably get my greatest strength from a run. Ah. Yeah. Good for you. You can 30 minutes be in your head. Yeah. You know, since you do have that drive, do you tend to do you tend to be on the phone working while you're driving between Oklahoma City and yes. Tulsa? Yeah. So I, you're not you're not listening to books or podcasts no. or all that. You're on the phone doing work. The whole I time. always had grand aspirations for that. Mm-hmm. But no. Yeah. Okay. I find it the best time to get the phone calls out of the way. No, I mean, that's yeah. smart. I feel like that's a good time to do that. And AirPods have revolutionized the way you can talk. <sighs> Isn't it great? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Bluetooth on the car was just just not working for anybody. No. No, no, that's good. That's good. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I appreciate you guys letting us explore your new location. You know, we had a photographer in there to take pictures. You know, you're stuck on the cover. <laughs> so no, I really, I really appreciate it. It's it's so fun to get to do this in person instead of over Zoom or over the phone like I normally am. So thank you very much. I yeah, appreciate and, it. And thank you for spotlighting our team. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's yes. it's great. Like it's fun to do it in person and have someone in, in my backyard. So that's that's good. Thank you very much. The Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at sparetailer.com. Thanks for listening.